to the Dermalorian Podcast from the Dermatology Education Foundation. The Dermalorian Podcast is an independent program made possible with support from UCB. Dermatopathology can provide much-needed answers for patients with challenging and potentially serious skin concerns. However, it can also be a source of frustration. Speaking at Derm 2023, Dr. Michelle Hury, a clinical dermatologist and a dermatopathologist, shared tips for getting the most out of your dermatopathologist. Let's listen in as Dr. Hury, founder of OC Skin Lab in Orange County, California, offers her top 10 tips. So number 10, I'll cut you, volume one. So I have heard this more times than I can even count. Always punch a pigmented lesion. So the only thing I'd love to punch is the person that actually said this and the dogma that has since, you know, transpired from that. Please, please do not punch a pigmented lesion unless you can get that whole thing, right? If you can get the whole thing in a punch, great. Otherwise, don't do it. Very, very important that you realize that this is not something that you should subscribe to. Always, always, always give the breadth over the depth. And it actually has been proven. So the JAD looked at this and if you biopsy less than 50% of the lesion, whether a punch or a shape, upstation will occur in 21 to 40% of the cases. And this is because of the fact that you are missing something. It's not necessarily the depth, but it's the fact that maybe where you biopsied was MIS, but you missed the invasive melanoma down the street. Okay, so please don't fear the shape. It's okay to shape. As long as you give at least one millimeter, we will be happy. Why is that? Let's look at the melanoma staging. If you can biopsy enough so where you get some bleeding a little bit, you're already gonna be at more than a millimeter. This is important for staging because that would make it a stage two. And the fact that if I have enough of the tumor down here, I know that you need to do a sentinel lymph node removal. And that's all we care about because once you start getting into stage threes and fours, yeah, I mean, yeah, it's important to have the depth at this point, but like we, this is where it's the most important, right? So I am not as concerned because the re-excision will figure out the actual, you know, depth down for these higher stages. But I think that the horse will be out of the gate by this point. This is the most important. Am I going to get a sentinel lymph node or not? And this is where we need to have a little bit of the depth. I promise you, you will give a, a millimeter at least when you do a shape. I promise you, unless you are trying to do the most superficial shape possible, which you should never do. So what, and so volume two, shave or punch. What do I do? What do I do? Which one do I take? Well, it's complicated, okay? It's, there's no hard and fast rule. Yeah, the rule of thumb is you shave a neoplastic, you punch an inflammatory. But, you know, there are always exceptions. There are always exceptions to the rule. And this is not cookie cutter, right? You have to think about it patient to patient. But yeah, okay, rule of thumb, neoplastic shave, punch inflammatory, fine. But there are always exceptions. 
where do we punch? Okay, volume three. Let's look at this. Okay, so this patient came to me with a rash and um, it was obviously moving in this direction. Where would we biopsy? Okay, make sure you're biopsying new stuff. I don't wanna see this. I don't wanna see the burnt out lesion. This is not going to give me enough clues at all. So you wanna make sure you do the leading edge or new, new lesions. This will give you the most clues under the microscope. Number nine, you're so superficial. Okay, in this case and this case, be very, very careful. In areas of the body, so the hands or maybe the, the um, dorsal or the uh, sole of the foot, be very careful. You have a lot of stratum corneum on top and you may think that you're getting a big old chunk off there, but in reality, you're probably still just getting the stratum corneum and you may be missing most of the, the, the epidermis and the junctional layer. I wanna make sure that I see the epidermal dermal junction because especially for this lesion here, it's really important. Am I dealing with an actinic lesion? Am I dealing with um, a squamous cell carcinoma in situ or a superficially invasive squamous cell? Very important. If you are timid to biopsy the mucous membrane, so the lip, and I've seen a lot of issues with this, where patients have come to me saying that their clinician didn't want to biopsy the lip. They're worried that it would leave a scar. It's okay. It's going to be fine. Mucous membranes heal like champs. They're fantastic. Take that chunk out. You will not have to worry about it. Okay. Number eight, take two punches and call me in the morning. Okay. Absolutely. Without a doubt, please take two punch biopsies for alopecia and any sort of lymphocytic proliferation that you're worried about. Okay. This patient came to me after seeing um, several other dermatologists for these plaques that were not going away with steroid. Multiple biopsies had been done and she was diagnosed with psoriasis for years and years and years. I know you've heard this story before. Mycosis fungoides can take a while to really kind of get diagnosed, okay? So she hadn't been seen for a long time because she just dealt with them because whatever. No, they said it's parasitized, you're going to be fine. So I took um, one punch biopsy. Yeah. So tell me how I know that this is super important to take two. I took one. Okay. One, because I'm like, that's a big one. I'll be okay. Yeah. Because by the time I got through all of the staining for the immunohistochemical um, stains that I wanted, and then sent it off for the rearrangement study, there were insufficient cells for analysis. So we have to take another biopsy. For alopecia, super important because of the way the lab orients the specimens. If you wanna get a meaningful result from your alopecia biopsy, which is already an issue, you know, taking the biopsy from the scalp, usually of women anyway who don't want that, you better make sure you're going to get a result that is meaningful. 
And the only way to do that is to give two biopsies so we can orient them accordingly. So we can see the horizontal as well as the cross section. Okay. All right. <laughs> I know this is not right, but two birds in the hand is better than one in the bush. Again, if, if you have any question in your mind of an immunobolus disorder. Now this, I knew walking in the door that this was a contact, right? I knew it. I knew that. But the problem is, is he had been to other people who had given him steroids and he swore up and down that he'd never gotten into contact with anything. Okay, fine. We will play this game. Let's take a biopsy. And if there's any question, any question, take two, put one in formalin and to send off for H&E. Put the other in Zeus or Michelle's, if you have it, that is the DIF media. If you don't have it or it's expired, which is super common, put it in saline. Put it in saline, put it in the fridge. You don't have to send it off or send it to, if you have an in-house path lab, label it in case, don't process, hold it just in case, call your derm path, say, just in case you're worried about something, this is what you have to work with, but don't send it yet. Great. Now, where do we biopsy? Obviously, I know some people may not realize, or maybe you do, for the H&E, if you are worried about immunobolus, you punch into a lesion. If you want to rule, rule out an immunobolus disorder and then you want to check for the DIF, make sure your DIF is just perilesional because you may get a false negative if you punch the actual lesion, okay? What is the margin? When should I care about it? Only excisions have margins, okay? Many times I was called because I didn't give a margin status on a biopsy. <clears throat> Never trust a margin, a margin given to you from, from a biopsy. They do not exist. It doesn't exist. In this case, I'm using the example of a punch biopsy, but it could be the same for a shave. This is probably what you think it would be, right? The problem is, is that roasting technique as well as cutting it for the slide can absolutely affect what you see. In addition to the biopsy itself, you may not do a perfect biopsy like that. It may be something like this. And it depends on where the, the section is taken for the slide, right? And if, if it's shaped like this, lesion is shaped like this, you may have a negative biopsy edge here, but a positive one here. It doesn't mean that what you see on the, the biopsy, if it was not at any of the edges, that somehow that means that it's not at any of the edges. The slide is only showing us about a tenth of the width of a hair of that specimen. Please, please, please do not assume that any margin given on a biopsy is real. It isn't. It isn't. Those margins may not be real, but the challenges of understanding compensation certainly are. In a recent Dermalorian webinar, Michelle Salentrup, CEO of MyDermRecruiter.com, distinguished between collections and production. In this month's Dermalorian Derm Decoder, she explains.
Knowing your numbers is key to negotiation and getting your worth. Okay. So if you can't show a practice, your value, if you don't know it yourself. So if you don't know the difference between production and collections, your practice does, and more than likely you're being paid on collections only in your contract. So what you're producing is what you build out. Um, through insurance, through cash payments, whatever it may be. But what they're collecting, obviously, is what is the practice doing to collect those dollars in for you? So you know what you're actually getting bonused on, right? If they don't collect the money, you're not getting bonused. So 98% of those practices pay you based on collections and not production. Speaking of collections, let's get back to Dr. Hury as she talks more about how to best collect and submit specimens to your dermatopathologist. Okay, straight up, now tell me. What's the orientation? Okay, this is usually how I live my life. Just keep it simple and slay. If you're tempted, if you're doing an excision, if you're tempted to um, orient that specimen with something fancy, don't do it. Superior lateral dorsal side of your mother's aunt, whatever, I don't care. Um, you will get a call from a very confused grossing tech and an even more confused dermatologist. pathologist. What, how are we orienting, orienting them? Keep it absolutely simple. Tag the 12 o'clock margin with a suture. Don't ink it. If you ink, the ink you use may not be the ink that the lab wants to use. And it's not as um, specific in that ink can kind of bleed depending on which ink you use. When I was a resident and I would get ink that was green, the entire specimen then would turn green because it just bled everywhere. So just don't ink, just put up just, just a little suture. Okay, that's all you need to do and you will be awesome. So just 12 o'clock, good enough, perfect, no more. Okay, so um, I don't wanna bias you. The role of the clinical history. I, if I had a, a dollar for every time I heard, well, I don't want to bias you, I would be a millionaire and I wouldn't be giving, well, I'd probably still be giving this stuff, but this is super important. There is no bias. Okay. So a very wise dramatic pathologist one says, one said, dramatic pathology is like a marriage without an equal partnership of the clinical and the histology, it will never be successful. Okay, it was it was it was just me that said that. I'm not that wise, but this is super important. Okay, and the clinical is so important. Okay, number three, KOH beyond the fungus among us. Now, first of all, some people use KOH. I actually don't. I use chlorazel black, but um, you know, if you use KOH. That's great. So make it work for you. If you have something like this, you're doing a scrape. And sometimes it can be kind of tough to see the, fun, the, the actual organisms, the fungi. Change your condenser, lower the light. See what happens. You will see it a little bit easier. And if you wanna know the condenser is down here, you just kind of slide it over. What else can the KOH do for us? Well, it's not just for fungus. If you don't have mineral oil, which I don't, use your KOH. Do a little scrape, put it in your KOH, and put a cover slip on it, and you might see this guy. 
or something else that could point you in the direction of this guy, okay? What about this? So say if you have a kiddo that you're not quite sure what's going on, and you maybe just wanna scrape it instead of biopsying. If anyone knows this, be proud of yourself. So these are actually the viral inclusions that you would see in molluscum contagiosum, right? So that might be a very helpful thing to just scrape and put under the slide real time. Yes, in, in case there's any question, um, the clinical um, appearance, yes, this is actually a molluscum. Okay, the dysplastic nevus game, oh gosh. The grading game, did we win? Did, does anyone ever win? So this was the old paradigm. So dysplastic nevus usually was mild, moderate, severe. Mild, closer to not a big deal. Moderate is the wastebasket term, but probably would get re-excised. And then severe, that's closer to being terrible and we need to do a big excision. So WHO guidelines came out and said, you know what, we're gonna get rid of that. It's, it's garbage and nothing ever happens with these anyway, they're fine. Okay, no problem. So then we're gonna say all moderates are low-grade dysplasia. All the severes are now high-grade. And so now you're gonna say just low or high. And that really kind of helps get rid of all of the you know, inner observer issues that we had of like, well, who decides who's moderate and, or what's moderate, and what's, what's mild, what's severe? There's so much variability. Well, now there's maybe a little less variability because now there's only two terms to deal with. So is it low or is it high? And I'm sure some of you are still dealing with people that are giving you mild, moderate, severe, but you may want to consider asking them, hey, um, get with the times because this was 2018 that this came out. So let's, am I going to cut it out or not? Right, so um, the moderates usually now we can just kind of watch and then the re-excisions would happen for the high grade. Okay, I never talk anymore. Number one, number one, drum roll. Communication is key. Know your dermatopathologist, call them, know them, have them on speed dial, go see them if they're in house. That would be amazing. Sometimes the, dis the discrepancy or disconnect is super important. If you're getting something in your report that absolutely doesn't meet up with your clinical in interpretation, try to never throw it back into the, onto the clinician if people send me cases, because being one myself, I um, know how terrible it is to deal with a pathologic diagnosis that doesn't help you in any way. So um, that's what I try to do. But you also have to help your dermatopathologist um, help us help you. It seems it all comes down to communication. Before we conclude this episode of the Dermalorian podcast, it's time for our Dermalorian clinical clip. Do you ever wonder when it's time to declare a dupilumab failure and move on to a JAK inhibitor for your eczema patients? Dr. David Cohen shares his thoughts people are getting worse or there's no movement at to 12 weeks, th then you should be done. If you're getting um, less enthusiastic improvement at four weeks and eight weeks and 12 weeks, 
hang on a little longer because 16 weeks and 20 weeks and 24 weeks might reward you. And that's when you add some topicals in to just kind of juice it like the Kronos trial did. Um, you know, the patients, and, and so give it time. There'll be a point you know it's futile, right? So it, I, I, I wouldn't, if you're getting, um, you know, slow but steady treatment, let it go for six months. If you're not getting any treatment or it's just an adject, abject failure, you'd switch. The question is, what do you switch to? That's it for this edition of the Dermalorian Podcast. This independent podcast series from the Dermatology Education Foundation is made possible with support from UCB. Listen to previous editions and keep an eye out for fresh content wherever you stream podcasts. Thanks for listening.